0: When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan.
1: There's nothing around here I believe in, except you, yeah, you. There's nothing here to me that's sacred, except you, yeah, you. You're the one that reaches me. You're the one that I admire. Every time we meet together, my soul feels like it's on fire. Nothing matters to me, and there's nothing I desire, except you, yeah you. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling, Rob Kelly. And joining us this week to talk about Nobody Except You, an outtake from 1974's Planet Waves, is returning Bobcat, Brian Lookatch. Hi, Brian.
0: Hey, how are
1: you? I'm doing great. Happy New Year. Welcome back to the show.
0: Thanks for having me back. I feel like this is my Sally Field moment. Uh, second time around, you must really like me. So I appreciate it. <laughs> I,
1: I, I, will peel, I will peel back the curtain a little. Sometimes people will will ask about coming back, and I don't remember how the first one went. So I had to go and look the show up and go, what one was that? Oh, that was a good one. Oh, yeah, yeah, we could
0: do that. <laughs> so. I appreciate being in the... Uh, the, the pass fence.
1: <laughs> when you do two, when you're getting to close to 200 of these, you sometimes do forget. Did that one go well? I don't remember. I got to look that up. So well, I'm sure uh, you're at the
0: point where you probably forget which songs you've done in some cases. Oh, especially absolutely. Some of the more obscure oh stuff. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. I promised a song to somebody a couple of weeks ago and, they were like, I can't believe you haven't covered that. And I'm like, neither have I. And then, like, a day later, they're like, wait, you did. Here it is. So I was like, oh, geez, I forgot about
0: that. Especially the, back at the beginning. Yeah, no, it's, it's a fair. It's, we're, we're getting older, too. So, you know, our memories aren't quite that easy. <laughs> that does not help. So, uh, yeah, we said we're, we're going to
1: be talking about Nobody Suck You. It's, <laughs> it's from from uh, Planet Waves, an outtake from Planet Waves, which uh, ended up surfacing on the uh, Bootleg Series volumes one to three. But before we get to that, Brian, we already know about your history with Bob Dylan, but in the meantime, since you've been on the show since the last time, you have seen Bob live. you managed to see him on the rough and rowdy ways tour right
0: i did I did thanks for asking i um I just geographically was uh was uniquely <laughs> uniquely positioned uh being here in Chicago and being from Milwaukee uh I was able to kind of hit both of the first two shows of the tour and uh nice. you know similar to some of the time you shared with some of the other guests. Um, Especially being at that first show uh, was just a, it was really an experience. I think most of us of our generation just can't really connect to because there's never been in a really an environment where he had been off tour for so long. Yeah. Um, that that uh, was just that, that first show, especially, there was so much uh, kind of pent up excitement. And, mm. you know, it was across the street at the bar from, from where the venue was and kind of hanging out with, you know, tons of other people. Um, who were interestingly having kind of as in, grown up in milwaukee you don't run into a lot of people flying to milwaukee for concerts so it's not it's not a destination venue to see a show it's not like red rocks or something um uh, but there was the, the number of people who were at the, at the bar across the street out of the show out from out of town just for being at that first show was really kind of crazy just there was so much energy and excitement and it was just it was those it was kind of forty, you know, forty hours or thirty-five hours of just between the first show and the end of the second here in Chicago. Uh, it was just absolutely, just, just a phenomenal couple of days for me. <laughs> it was, uh, a lot of fun. Um, obviously, the shows were pretty tight. Just, uh, it was a fantastic experience. The very communal um, celebration of him just being back and being able to do that. It was just really great.
1: I've never seen Bob twice in two days. I've seen him twice, like like four or five days apart, but never. <laughs> First night, second night. So that beca- that that's interesting because to me it would almost feel like that the your life in between the two shows that's the downtime, you know <laughs> that's uh, the. I,
0: it really was the day the day between the two shows was kind of a weird. It was kind of I, you know, I had a bunch of things for work I was doing that day, but it was just a weird kind of vibe and energy. We kind of having had, had it last night and kind of still digesting that and trying to think through the show, and then whatnot, and then the, the second night. Um, incidentally, I, I feel a little greedy now, because uh, this was the first time I'd seen him back-to-back two days, but I'd actually seen him probably about 20 years ago. He played two shows, the early and late show vibe uh, during that supper club kind of uh, realm in the late 90s, when he did those club shows, mm-hmm. and he did two shows at the Park West, which is a tiny venue here in Chicago, and I saw both shows that night, which was Uh, different but strange experience because you go see him you leave the venue for an hour you come back in and then you're getting like set two which was Mm -hmm. a different version of it so uh this was even just just again the them being offline for a couple of years not you know with the new album out not obviously debuting a bunch of it uh it was just really just a just just especially that first show just just such a unique kind of vibe and energy to it and uh, we kind of – apparently it sounded like he'd been in Milwaukee for four or five days rehearsing at the uh, at the Riverside, which is venue he played. We were kind of picking the brain of a few of the guys who worked there as we were walking <laughs> in, and we got a little bit of uh, intel and feedback. And they said, yeah, the rehearsals have been really tight. And obviously the tour got along. I think it, just some of the shows I've heard online, you know, it, it got even better, but uh, it was just – it was great. It was just what a did, lot of fun. And just,
1: What did you think got, about hearing all these new songs?
0: Uh, it was just, uh, you know, that's one of the 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 links to, I think to our conversation I'll get to later. But it, that was kind of the craziest part of it. You know, I think you we you've talked about with a lot of your guests, and I, I know for a bit up until the tour, it's like you know what you know what song do you want to hear him play and whatnot. Uh, having him debut so much of the album, <laughs> it's just. Uh, you know, it's like you get one, and you're like, "Oh, that was great," and then he keeps you just keep digging in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> next thing you know, once the whole album's been played live, you're like, "Did that really just happen?" Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, just the the first time through, kind of not knowing that was coming was just, as I said, it's really hard to get your arms around. And uh, I was uh, liking it. the the uh, The first show in '74 was probably the closest example you could get to it, right? Where he's been offline for four or five years. And, you know, had a lot of new content and a lot to play and you didn't know what was coming. And obviously back then the world was a lot different. But, you know, this is the first time, you know, in the the internet age that he'd been offline for so long and he didn't have at least a kind of a reference set list for people to think about. So it was just, uh, it was great to hear all the new, the new material. I think he did, he did. Great work with a lot of it, and just uh, you know, I think it was you know a lot of people. You could just tell in the crowd. There's a lot of emotion coming out, a lot of, a lot of folks, and uh, it was really neat to see and really neat to participate in.
1: Do you have a favorite live performance of one of the new songs versus maybe what were your favorite songs on the record?
0: Uh, I, in terms of the live uh, vibe, I um, go in a bunch of different directions. I mean, I uh, uh, you, you know loved um, uh, False Prophet. I thought it was really cool. I thought the way he did Multitudes, at least when I saw it, was really solid too. Um, you know, but I mean, everything, you know, the entire show I think was just a, just a refresh. My only regret, is I didn't, I, um, I didn't get to hear every grain of sand, uh, which that, incidentally I'd heard him sing in the same theater, uh, it, what, 89 or 90 when I saw him in that theater 30 years ago. He did play wow. it then, which at the time was to me earth shattering. This was, you know, back in 89 or 90, it was, it had been on Biograph. It was a bit of a semi deep cut. It was kind of one of my, uh, you know, kind of you know unusual favorites and he showed up and then played it then and it was pretty cool. So uh, I it's no worries. Because <laughs> well, he was still doing uh,
1: he was still doing "Train to cry and lovesick, right? As the Yeah, movie. yeah.
0: Yeah, so you got an extra song but it was the yeah, I think it was the was it the next show or a couple shows it was like the third or fourth show in? I think it's when he when he switched that up and then I think he held ground the whole way through, right? Yep.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah.
0: So. Yeah, but um so it was as I said, it was just really magical couple days. It feels feels like a year ago, even though it was you know, a month or two ago. <laughs> it's Kind of nutty, but uh, now know, sounds like yeah, it sounds like uh, everybody who's had the privilege of kind of seeing this tour. Hopefully, all, a lot of a lot of folks have the same experience.
1: Yeah, hopefully. Said I would imagine he's going to be launching the second leg of the tour pretty soon. I you know, I mean, they've already said on the website it's going through twenty twenty four for P six. We'll have rocket cars by then, so it'll be a lot easier to get to, uh,
0: the, get to the gig, of course. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It was just yeah, it's just fantastic. And I just thought the band sounded great. Everybody it was just a lot of fun. Yeah. I really like the the new drummer and whatnot.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Now, now you mentioned, you know, the sort of comparison of this tour versus yep. the seventy four tour, because yeah, that was the last time he had sort of been out of the public eye for a couple of years. Now the big difference was, of course, on that tour, he sang virtually nothing from Planet Waves. Uh, you know, he sprinkled in a few things, including this song, surprisingly enough, and we'll talk about that. But Planet Waves mm-hmm. did not get, you know, like the, the, the eight or nine song treatment uh, uh, the way Rough and Rowdy Ways got. He kind of was doing, I mean, of course, the band was doing their own songs and stuff. So this song, I mean, I was completely unfamiliar with this. Song. I'd never even heard of it until the Blue Lake series. I didn't know that it existed. Um, it was apparently one of the three songs that he had demoed, uh, like on a tiny tape recorder, and they had given to David Geffen or something, because Planet Waves ended up being the, the only record yeah. that was not released by Columbia at the time. It got sort of, Columbia re- took over the rights when they re-signed Dylan, but uh, he was doing like that one record per contract deal with, with Geffen Records at the time. And apparently Bob had recorded three songs in very, uh, you know, bare bones manner to just give people an idea of what was, what was coming. And this was one of the songs, Forever Young was another one. Uh, which actually ended up getting used in a commercial of all things. God, they just strip—they <laughs> just strip mine everything from the Dylan cannon. Uh, but but this 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 was so this was obviously one of the earliest songs he had composed for Planet Waves. And as far as I can tell from my reading, it was initially thought that it was going to close the record. It was going to be the final. That's song. That's what I
0: read as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: and then uh, he at the last minute he came up with wedding song, and then wedding song displaced nobody except you. And you know, strangely enough. Nobody except you got bumped entirely. It wasn't like it got bumped up on the record. It just got completely
0: <laughs> replaced. uh Why did you want to talk about this one it it got It got up to me' we'll call it not quite <laughs> as big a gem as that one, but uh you know it's similarly uh treated um and so uh you yeah, know this has been a song this this album is one that it, you know i think that you know every Dylan guy has you know kind of that. Uh, unappreciated album that's kind of sits <laughs> higher in their hierarchy maybe than 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 is expected. For whatever reason, I think this legal. one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I love Street Legal too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think we'll probably all love all the, all of them, but it, it, this is one that um, I think maybe it's just because it's got um, you know it's the only one he did fully with the band, mm-hmm. um, and I just love the. I mean, I you know the last waltz just them playing anything with anybody. It's just always the band sound, even if it's a band Morrison song, it sounds like the band. And this album has such a band vibe to it, which is just, you know, that Americana blend of, of everything, you know, and all those elements. I've just always loved this album um, and just the looseness of it. I almost kind of, I was thinking about it over the last couple of days. One of the elements, the sound on this, you know, it's been, some folks just kind of frame it as criticism, but it, I actually view it as something I, I like about it. It's kind of a... There's a very looseness to the production and the sound, <laughs> probably excessive looseness. Um, it's almost kind of of the, uh, the um, uh, Exile and Main Street was kind of the blues version of that rock and roll looseness. This is almost like a folk Americana version of it, where it's just, you know, it's just every every song sounds like it's about to fall apart in some ways. It's just, <laughs> not. Yeah, There's not a lot of production to it, which I love it in that regard and never say goodbye is probably the most extreme example of that. But, um, the, uh, you know, the, the, the album, the version of this that was released on the bootleg series, which was also the first time I heard this, um, you know, I hadn't even heard about this song, uh, was, uh, what is, is along those lines. In fact, I'd read somewhere coming, kind of prepping for this, uh, it turns out Richard Manuel is actually playing on the drums on it, and he you know, drums half the song. And then if you kind of notice, it, he fades out. probably about the middle of the last verse, and just kind of disappears. It's just, it's just everything about it. It's just very loose and easy. And um, he had something to do. You know, he was like, "I'm gonna go,
1: yeah. I'm going go smoke yeah. a cigarette. You guys just finished the uh, song."
0: Yeah, my guess is you probably grab the, grab another glass of wine, <laughs> on rich. But uh, um, but it's just it, it was just that kind of that looseness to it, which is um, you know, it, you know, it's just what I love about everything with the band. And this is, and I think, I do it was last week or a couple of weeks ago. You're in the pot. You were talking about the Beatles, and the documentary, and the fact that I think there was a lot of Dylan video footage uh, from uh, from the Infidels era mm-hmm. when they're in the studio. I don't think there's video footage of, of Bob replaying with the band kind of in 73 and 74, but I would kill to see it. Just oh, just watching yeah. those guys make music together. There's there's so much camaraderie in the way, you know, the, the looseness of who plays what instruments and just everything about that would have just been a joy to be a fly on the wall and watch those guys. And Obviously the basement tapes environment would have been the, the Holy grail, but this would have been a close second in that regard. And just watching just people who love to make music, make music. And uh, at least from for Bob fans, and so this song was kind of the only, as far as I, kind of the main outtake from this album that I'd ever even ever heard about. And it always is kind of at a, a place in my heart. And the first time I heard the acoustic version, um, I was in college. I picked up a bootleg box set of uh, for Bob. I think it was three or four discs. I think it was called "You Don't Know Me" or something like that. And it had it was basically a collection, right? It was kind of thing now you'd be a big collection. This was on it. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, you know, there was an acoustic version of the song existed, and, and uh, it was just phenomenal. Um, it was, I think, they had in that box that had the Philly version, which was like the third or fourth time he played it. Um, and uh, it you know, we could talk, we'll talk through it, but the, the vibe of the acoustic version, you know, similar to other things he's done, band or acoustics, I, I won't compare it to visions, you know, of Joanna quite with that level of, uh, you know, extremity of the, the, you know, in terms of uh, just the vibe of the song, but it does have that kind of element of, you know, one is a kind of a loose rockabilly, you know, play, uh, which is the, the band version and the, uh, the, you know, the live version that he did at least for six or seven shows just had a little bit of an intimacy to it. That kind of, uh, you know, I think plays well with the, the tone of the, the tone of the song. Mm.
1: Now I have not heard that, in- that uh, acoustic version. I've not heard that bootleg version. Uh, oh, at all? I, no, I've never,
0: I've never oh, had a bootleg God. that's
1: had it. No, I <laughs>
0: so, oh mean, it's on YouTube. There's actually it is? even crazier, even crazier, Rob. This is even nuts because I, I don't know about you. I've one of the, the 74 shows, you know, got gotten, you know. Well, I've heard the. okay, together. wait, no.
1: you talk about the, when you say the acoustic version, do you mean the live versions or do you mean a studio Yeah, version? yeah, I'm
0: so, oh yeah, I'm sorry. I When I say acoustic, I mean the live version. Oh, okay, uh, yeah, no those, yes, those I've heard. Versions. Gotcha, gotcha. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, the one on that box that was, it was from, uh, it was a live version from uh, uh, the, uh, as I said, from Philly. But no, there's actually a video version of the Chicago debut. Yes, I watched that one too. Yeah, yep. Yeah, which isn't that kind of crazy? It's a silhouetted, just, it's, you know, kind of a murky, murky video. I don't know how back then people were, you know, smuggling video cameras. Yeah, I know. And
1: they must have had like a whole (laughs) gear on their shoulder.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. That's a pretty industrious fan there thank god for him it was really cool to see uh but i'm not sure the uh the the audio completely lines up with the video but i didn't really care it was really neat to watch um it just because there's not really i guess they didn't do a video of that tour at all um unlike obviously in 76 and 75 where there's just massive amounts of video in 74 it's, they've got great audio everywhere but it's, just, it's not like there's a ton of video besides you know folks like that are doing a little bit of entrepreneurial stuff so yeah sorry about the confusion between uh, acoustic and uh And the band, but yeah, no, the acoustic versions, I mean, are kind of all the live versions he did.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Because I know there are two alternate takes of it. There's the one I just mentioned, which was the early demo, and then there is another take that was recorded the same day, and then they did another version, which is the one with Robbie Robertson doing the kind of wah-wah pedal thing, and that's the version on the bootlegs, but there are other studio versions that I've just never had a chance
0: to hear yet. Yeah, I haven't either, Um, and I've got, you know, my archives at least about yeah, I think I've had almost all of the live versions and I've got that one, the bootleg version that I yeah, I haven't gotten. My, if anybody wants to reach out, post this, I'll put my Twitter <laughs> handle up. if anybody's got access because I'd love to kind of, uh, you know, be able to kind of hear every hear every element as well in terms of the other demos. But um, yeah, I just, let, as I said, even the, the the version that's been put out there in the bootleg series, it's just, as I said, it just underscores from a sonic perspective a lot of what I love about Planet Waves, which is, yeah, as I said, it's an acquired taste for some. But um, I just think it's such a, it's such a fun kind of album in that regard It you can't take it too seriously but you just enjoy it and one of the themes i think we'll get to is that um you know part of maybe even the lyrics kind of embedded within this is you know this is at a point where um you know he's you know he's you know saved for a uh, new morning i mean it's really been a quiet you know five years for the guy in, in a lot of ways and you know i think there's some elements this is kind of the beginning of his return to you know uh you know really just blowing us away with just crazy music
1: <laughs> it's interesting that this song got replaced by wedding song when this song is much more positive i mean straightforward positive and then wedding song is a lot more melancholy a lot more mixed about i mean you know wedding song certainly has its its uh devotion you know front center but there's a lot more pain there than this song. This song seems almost very, like a lot of the other songs on Planet Ways, very sunny and very straightforward. Uh, and not, Again, not that that's a, in any way a bad thing, but Planet Ways has a lot of much more upbeat songs than you would have expect from sort of, you know, Bob Dylan, what you think about. You Angel You, uh, Never Say Goodbye. And they're much hazel. Uh, there's a lot of really kind of straightforward, upbeat, up-tempo, up- uptempo, and devotional songs. And this is kind of fits in with that. And then to mm-hmm. replace it with wedding song
0: seems like a very particular <laughs> choice. Yeah, no, I 100 percent agree. I mean that that uh, the just the performance in wedding song is is just just phenomenal. Maybe that was just what kind of carried the the day there. I mean, I think if I was living in 1974, I would have been like, why didn't you give me both? <laughs> There's enough room as I asked. That's stage. all we ever asked for, on
1: Dylan it. fans. Yeah, just give us everything, more Bob. More. Make every album like, yeah. six sides. Come on,
0: yeah uh yeah it's it's you know when when this is an outtake and you know we've kind of exhausted this thesis before but you know his outtakes are you know other people's masterpieces yep (laughs) um and this is you know as i said it's it's probably not his number one outtake but it's certainly in the top 10 or 15 and it's um you know it's again it's so unique here because it was it's there's a singularity to it from this era or you know one of them there's just wasn't a lot of uh, un- untapped gold coming out of this vintage. He used a lot of what he had, Um but yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it is, it does set kind of a tonal difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, and we, it's interesting, you kind of alluded to it because we've seen this pivot probably in a bunch of different albums where he's had, you know, a couple of different options on how to close. Obviously Blood on the Tracks, he had that as well. Um Even something like um, Empire Burlesque where, you know, just, you know, Dark Eyes shows up out of nowhere and just completely <laughs> right. changes how we would ever view that album you know, just without having, you know, that as your closer, um, that, uh, you know, it's just kind of interesting that this, uh, there, that there was kind of this pivot and how it, uh, set things. I think if this album carried more weight, um, you know, with, with, uh, you know, then maybe it would be something that would probably have been discussed and debated more. but, uh, mm-hmm. certainly from my, yeah, you know, it carries a lot of weight with me. So <laughs> I, I, it's something I've thought about. And, uh, I'm glad that, uh you know that the, the, there's both available but i i see you know, just I, th- I think closing with an acoustic song uh that way i think probably maybe had something to do with it it's just it's just there's an intimacy with a wedding song that I think just as a performance element probably made a little bit more sense um whereas the version maybe if he'd done an acoustic version for the album similar to what he was doing live you know along you know scope of wedding song and that his buttons hitting the guitar on that one. <laughs> uh, similarly, uh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe that, that could have been an interesting one. I mean, if that exists, I'd love to hear that too. <laughs> he really d- <laughs> He does ever- love
1: acoustic closers to electric albums. Yeah. That is definitely so. And he also does love to do the final song of a record that seems to point to the direction of the next record in, in some way. I mean, you can only kind of really judge that with hindsight. But when you look back and you say, well, look, uh, Restless Farewell, on the end of time Mm -hmm. seems to kind of be heading in the, another side of Bob Dylan direction. And then the two country songs at the end of John Wesley Harding seem to be pointing towards Nashville skyline. And then you look at wedding song and you say, Oh yeah, well, wedding song feels like the middle step between the songs here and then blood on the track. You can sort of see that.
0: Oh, absolutely. So
1: he seems like that's where (laughs) he's headed. Now I quoted the opening lines, uh, to the song from Bob Dylan.com. And as usual at this point, it's getting to be as usual. They're different. (laughs) Than what, he, than what he sings. Because uh, on, the, on the track that's on the bootleg series, he sings, there's nothing around here to me that's sacred. Yeah, you, except you. Nothing around here to me that matters, except you, yeah, you. And on the quote-unquote official version on Bobdone.com, he sings, there's nothing, like I quoted the setting, there's nothing here around here that I believe in. And then he changes it, to, and then the second line is sacred. And that's what he sings on the live versions. So obviously those lines, the sacred slash matters verse was, I guess, the early versions. And then he changed it. And then when he went on tour with it, that's what he decided to sing. And then when it came to officially recording these songs for songwriting, you know, uh, copyright uh, duties, he stuck with believe in and sacred. So that's the version that quote unquote is the official version, even though the only recorded version we've heard of doesn't feature those words.
0: But it's, and it, you know, it's subtle, but I think the, the believe versus matters, I think, is a very distinct difference, right? And just in terms of kind of how you're thinking about it. And, um, you know, I think there's there's a lot of different ways I feel like this song just at a, at a kind of a holistic level could be interpreted. One of the things that just kind of thematically I've, I've kind of bounced around, in my, you know, as I'm kind of looking at it, you know, revisiting it again for this discussion, you know, is back to that point where he's coming off kind of a five-year layoff. You know, he hasn't written in a while. Uh, I mean, he hasn't written in a while, but he's not. It's certainly at the levels you you might have in the past um, in terms of just volume and depth. And it just you know, does this song overall is it a metaphor for just um, kind of a lack of connectivity with the music environment that he was that you know the five year period? I mean, think about the five year period from like sixty one, sixty two to sixty seven. And then from, you know, 70 or 67, 68 to 73, kind of when this was written and just the, the the just the stark contrast of his life and the dynamics. And then you kind of think about nothing matters, you know, nothing I care about, nothing I believe in. It's the world he's been living in for the last five years versus the world that is he referencing versus the world he used to live in. And then we can kind of get to that later on where he talks about, you know, the line with it. You know, I don't want to jump ahead too far, but he's talking about dancing in the cemetery. I mean, is that an environment that he used to live in and now he reflects on it you know those kind of mm-hmm. elements so at a high level is this in a big picture is this kind of a you know a, a kind of insight into how he's thinking about kind of his place in the music environment maybe a, a preview of him kind of re-engaging in you in is then except you is you you just assume it's his wife right but is it really maybe is, mm-hmm. is you really the muse of music I don't I don't I don't know. I'm just huh. you know, uh, waxing, but uh, you know, who knows? Right? and so you kinda of think about things in that regard, and I don't really know, who knows. And that's the beauty of Bob. there's a lot of uh, it's Eng- English interpretation to interpret, right? I've
1: never that's funny, I've never thought of it that, that he could be talking to the muse as opposed to a person. Uh that's a re- that's really interesting, Brian. I've never that, yes. that has never occurred yeah, to me. Just...
0: <laughs> Yeah, it may be completely off base no
1: i mean that, that's again that's the beauty of it it, it can't be off base it's, if that's what it is to you then that's what it is that's the it's my, it's an idea yeah no that's yeah. exactly
0: right it's like what's inspiring him to write you know and yeah. uh, i mean i think it was was it the 60 minutes interview with a uh, you know with that Bradley like is it Ed Bradley I don't know. yeah Ed Bradley like, yeah And around time out of mind, and they're asking about hey, you know can you still write like you did in the 60s like no nah, i can do other things but i can't do that and yeah. I don't, it's, it's kind of that was kind of the mindset that I was, I was thinking about when I was reading this. I was like, you know, just the reality. I mean, maybe did he realize this, you know, as long ago as then. It's just like, that was a, just this magic time where just this funnel of genius was just bouncing out of me. And it was different genius. Certainly a year later, I mean, you know, blood on the tracks isn't debatable. It's, you know, genius work, but um, it's just a different version of it. It was a different way to get there. I don't know. Maybe that's, I don't know. I just, something to think about. I was trying to, Get, get get you know my English uh, professor hat on <laughs>
1: right right well the the, the, the song goes on he says nothing nothing around yeah. here I care to try for said you yeah you got nothing here to live left to live or die for there's a hymn I used to hear in the churches all the time make me feel so good inside so peaceful so sublime and there's nothing to remind me of that old familiar chime said you yeah you and then he gets to the part used to play in a cemetery yeah. dance and sing and run when I was a child. It never seemed strange, but now I just pass mournfully by the place where the bones of life are piled. I know something has changed. I'm a stranger here and no one sees me except you. Yeah, you. Now, I always took that as, because I, I did some reading, of course, about mm-hmm. the song in preparation for this episode and what people's and other people's interpretation uh, was. And this verse, the, the cemetery verse, seems to really throw a lot of people because they were like, what? Like, why? <laughs> you know, it seems to not really fit with the rest of the song. And this is how I've always taken it. Is that mm-hmm. there are across planet waves? There are a lot of references to his childhood, his childhood, and his mm-hmm. and and presumably his childhood home. There's talk about the twilight on the frozen lake. There's a lot. There seems to be a lot of recollections of life inhibiting. You know, the cold, the winter. It seems to be a lot of that. And I always took it as maybe at some point during those quote-unquote wilderness years, the seventy seventy four, 74, like you were saying, where he wasn't doing all that much. Although, as, we're, as we say, in those years, he managed to knock out Knock It On Heaven's Door, which to a lot of <laughs> other artists, they'd live off at the rest of their lives if they just had that oh, one yeah. song. But uh, he's just like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I just did that song for that soundtrack. That's fine. But I, in my mind, I always took it as at some point during those years – did he go home? Did he go? I mean, I'm sure as we know he's visited his home pretty regularly, but did he go home at some point and maybe with his wife, who knows, but did he go home? And of course, uh, any of us, if we, if we, uh, leave our childhood home and we stay away for a long period of time and then we return to it, it's a very different place. You know, uh, everything seems smaller cause you're an adult now. Everything, you know, you're, everything seems a lot. It doesn't seem as, as imposing as a day when you were a child, but we feel differently when we're back in our childhood, location, childhood home than we did when we were, that we're an adult. And for Bob Dylan, it's gotta be that times a gajillion because, you know, because in back then he was little Bobby Zimmerman and now he's coming back as this huge cultural figure. I'm wondering, does he go home and does he feel no connection to that part of his life anymore? You know, like, yeah, just uh, just like, you, I, I think
0: you nailed it. Yeah, no, because one of the things kind of famously, you just uh, at the end, you just kind of reminded me of, um, I'm sure you've read this as well. The story of him going like his 10th year anv- high school anniversary. Yeah. Can you reunion. imagine that?
1: Can you imagine?
0: <laughs> <laughs> like And how awkward it was for everybody. Because Of course yeah. it was. Yeah. What else is there for and, people to talk about? <laughs> no, exactly. And uh, it's uh, that kind of along those things. Same- and that that was probably what probably sixty nine I guess he was yeah he was like like high that, school yeah. fifty nine yeah so <laughs> so it was a couple years that you know it was kind of at the earlier end of this window, um but I think this this theme you've just raised I think is is a, a, a great take as well, um and you know I think we we all kind of know you know he kind of famously was back in Minnesota, i think his was his brother at a farm or something that he was kind of you know spending time when He rewrote a lot of blood on the tracks, re-recorded a lot of it. Mm -hmm. So it's probably safe to say that wasn't the first time he'd been back up there in that early 70s window when he was kind of, you know, quietly raising his kids and, you know, doing that. Um, So to your point, I mean, it probably, you know, this, you know, an equally kind of a valid, you know, uh, view on, you know, maybe that was what the perspective is, Um, you know, as an alternative of kind of, hey, you know, that that world I kind of grew up in that, you know, sometimes you romanticize, it just, I, I just can't relate to it anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's, a, it's like a different part of my life that um, you know it it's it, it's it's part of the, the fabric of who I am, but it's not um, not something I can kind of fully connect with anymore. Um, but I one one point around the uh, the cemetery uh, couplet, uh, just the, when he does that one live, it just has such an urgency and uh, vision. As I said, it kind of it, not, not to kind of you know reference visions of Johanna and the acoustic version there, but. It, it, it's the one part of this song that really does it carries just carries a lot of weight in the live version because there's the intimacy of the acoustic uh, performance um and just the in the, the one specific uh two-line couplet is when he, i, I pass mournfully in that place where the bones of life are piled it's such a genius way to describe a cemetery and it's just i don't know i just it always kind of hit me the first, first first or second time i'd heard that it was like whoa that's just well <laughs> it's an amazing line know.
1: it really is yeah. for, for what it's, seems deceptively a simple song that line is like whoa that's like a shakespeare line the place where bones of life are piled like well yeah literally that's true but whew, man, what a way to
0: but well, it's to um it. and it's kind of a sequel to skeleton keys in the rain right I mean, it's mm-hmm. kind of the same same kind of air and vibe to it that is just whoa <laughs> it's like, yeah, he's really uh he really gets the point of what, what his, his cemetery is to him. It's just, it's your point. It's almost Shakespearean um, in that realm. So that was, uh, that, That's the take you kind of raised there is also a really valid and interesting
1: one. See, um, but, but now, see, now that you've said it though, I kind of like this idea that it's, he's maybe talking about, not that he's singing to a muse, but all, another thing across planet waves is that he seems very dismissive of being a recording star. This whole world, like he has that line in Tough Mama about, "I'm not going to drag my lambs through the marketplace anymore." Like he's kind of like, eh, <laughs> "I don't I'm not ta-. so." In, in, now that we're you know sort of discussing, I can imagine that all of this is talking about his old life as an old as a musician in the '60s, and that's done. He doesn't want to do that anymore. That's the bones of life are piled back there. Yeah, and now it's this person he devotes him because. And you you mentioned the bones of life line. This this verse also features my favorite line, which is "I'm a stranger here and no one sees me except you." Yeah, you. And when he does that, I mean that to me, that is a very powerful line of the idea that you're in a room full of people and no one sees you. It's just to me, it's very haunting. Well, especially
0: when you're when you're Bob Dylan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like it's one thing. It's you or me. It's like okay, nobody nobody knows who you are, but. I mean, thinking of yourself as Bob Dylan in a room where you're a stranger is just, it's uh, its crazy.
1: And when you're singing um, it in but, concert, too.
0: You know? <laughs> well, and it's the other thing that's the, the ambiguity of this album. I think you just kind of nailed one thing, that I think, is just, again, that makes Bob fun, is um, you look at this album at surface level, especially the back half of it, with songs like, you know, uh, uh, especially like You Angel, You, Never Say Goodbye, and even Wedding Song, absolute tonality Wedding Song, but they're all like at surface level, just jump out almost, you know, kind of, you know, the easy kind of view is, oh, they're all songs about, you know, relationship and affection and whatnot. And then you look at this one and, you know, it feels along those same lines, but when you dig into a lot of them, there's there's a lot more, you know, to chew on versus kind of what he's singing at viewpoint in terms of the, the, the tone and uh, direction of what he's trying to say than just the obvious kind of love song. And it's what really makes this, as I said, I'm, I'm a lot more to this album than, than folks who are initially kind of would chew on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I said it's, and again, what a powerful thing to have someone say to you that, like, uh, and in some ways, maybe even a little scary, that they're like, I don't have anything that I care about except you. Well, that's, I don't know, is that the healthiest take to have in the world? You know, you want to have, uh, you hope all the people in your life have other things. You don't want it to be, you can't be everything to everybody. Uh, you know, that's that's putting a lot of pressure on someone. It's like the old line about, you know, Woody Allen, I like to put women under a pedestal kind of thing. You know, it's almost you can almost see that maybe imagine someone who's lived a life like like his and then you meet him and he's like, oh, no, I put I'm not putting everything onto you like, whoa whoa, yeah, like that can't I don't know. That may not be the healthiest attitude to take anymore. And then, you know, in the, ne- the final verse, nothing matters much or seems to please me. Except you, yeah, you. Nothing hypnotizes me or holds me in a spell. Everything runs by me just like water from a well. Everybody wants my attention. Everybody's got something to sell. Except you, yeah, you. And I love the way he sings that. It's almost kind of, uh, kind of disgustedly, where he just sings, my, my t- everybody got something to sell. And, of course, if you're Bob Dylan, yeah. You know, you. Every people are constantly trying to get something out of you because of who you are. And so there's a, there's a wonderful loneliness to this despite the fact he's talking so devotionally about somebody there's a loneliness to it which is again a little uh, haunting and it's it, it despite what i said earlier that it sounds like it's more of a piece with you angel you and never say goodbye and hazel which are much more straightforward this has this does have a little more melancholy than i'm kind of initially giving it credit for
0: uh, yeah and i think that last verse really hits the, thematically in some of the things you're talking about in terms of the album overall uh, in terms of uh just that uh, that kind of side broader theme that that you alluded to that um you know just what's what's bob's view kind of of uh embracing you know the recording environment maybe kind of back to what you opened up uh you know the the discussion with is the fact that this is this was kind of the album that was the dalliance with with david geffen and you know his kind of discussion frustration with cbs and whatnot and, uh you know some of those themes you know broadly you know are kind of kind of show up a little bit here not quite as uh not quite as deep as maybe Paul Simon in *The Boxer*, but <laughs> he was hmm. taking his his anger out on the record companies pretty directly, as calling him "whores" on Seventh Avenue. But uh, you know, it's maybe more of a little bit of a subtle version of his frustration with just the, the you know that recording environment in general. And obviously, again, he was you know five years earlier he was you know a genius and you know he could do no wrong. And I think he's realized he's still that, but from a commercial perspective. Uh, he's he not quite in getting that level of support, so maybe a little bit of that theme showing shows up on the album. It's There's the thought.
1: <laughs> it's in retrospect, it's kind of amazing that this album doesn't have, uh, like we just re- referred to the boxer, like more vituperative kind of stuff related to his record label. Considering that just yeah. before this, they had put out an album of his outtakes as revenge for signing with a different label. Like, can you imagine <laughs> somebody doing that? It would never happen. Never in a million years would a record company do that kind of thing, uh, I, you know, because I think they have to treat their artists a little a little nicer than that. But I mean, imagine that. Imagine Bob deciding, okay, I want to sign with a different label. That happens all the time. And this record, this record label is like, oh yeah, we'll show you. We'll take a bunch of crap that you didn't want anybody to hear, and we'll put it on a record with just your name on it. Yeah. Just calling it Dylan, yeah. as if it's almost. It's like this is the this is the essential. This is the, you know, the, this is the platonic ideal of Bob Dylan. His awful version of Spanish is the loving tongue,
0: you know, like, yeah. you imagine, or, or Mr. Bojangles, or Mr. Bojangles. I mean, I
1: mean look, yeah, I like a lot you, of I stuff on that record, but it. It. still.
0: It's that. Yeah, it's, it's for the completest, but exactly. I think <laughs> that's, um, I forgot. I, I, not that I forgot about it, but I just raising that here is a great reminder. That's exactly right. It's, uh, um, uh, that, uh, kind of the wake of that, um, Th- that th- you know those events is, it's got to be playing here at some point right i mean yeah. that's the, be- the gen- geniuses you can kind of go in two or three different directions as to where he's singing about this album they're probably all true in some <laughs> realm or another just depending on the song and that's what, that's what makes that's why he's got a nobel prize <laughs> that's <what laughs> the, the lyricism is is you know something that's a gift it's, it's, you can't you can't make it up so yeah. uh yeah no it's and this is again this is one that you know was released later on but you know this would be just for for most artists it would be you know they'd be their their best song on an album (laughs) (laughs) Bob was like yeah maybe i'll put it in there
1: yeah maybe not (laughs) yeah i've got this this is me and the band you know but nah we'll forget it we'll drop it i mean it yeah you you were talking about like the the footage of him you know we know that there's footage of bob working on infidels and then as far as we know there is no video footage of of Bob working on Planet Waves, but of all from that book I read by Clinton Hale in the recording sessions of all of his records, this one is Planet Waves is the one to me that has the most fun stories about how it was made. And so, of all the records, I wish there was video of. It's kind of this one, although it would be yeah, you know, obviously it would be amazing to watch any of it. It would be amazing to see him yeah. make Street Legal, Blood on the Tracks, any of it. Well, I'll take I'll take I'll take any of it, but. There's so many fun stories about this album where he was, you know, records forever young and then leaves it. He was going to leave it off because some woman made a crack about that. He was getting mushy in his old age. And like, (laughs) you imagine, you imagine that. And just what it must, what it must be like to watch Bob Dylan putz around with the band. Cause it's like these, these, these guys are his equals. They are not, not that, not that his subsequent bands are not great musicians, but they're his band. You know, there's there's a certain amount of he's the guy in charge, obviously, and I'm sure he's still in charge on this record because it's his name on it. But they're his compatriots; these are these are guys that are his equals, essentially. And so it would be interesting to see if he made a choice about certain things, if whether some of the band was like, nah, kiss off, Bob. That we don't, I don't want to do that. You know, <laughs> like, whether that happened. Well,
0: yeah, and that's I mean the fact that they they spent you know what uh, whether it's a summer or a year, however long they were you know, knocking around in Woodstock, but like that, you know, is the the ultimate version of, you know, just a per- perpetual recording session. And mm-hmm. then just even to kind of see a little tighter in a studio where there's a little bit more, more formality to it. But the difference between, it's your point, you know, you read this versus, uh, you know, a lot of stories that went around of like, uh, I think it was Clapton who famously like went in and got frustrated because there was no cohesion to what was going on Yeah, for a desire. Yeah, he's like, This is yeah. crazy. I'm yeah. leaving. Yeah. What the hell am I doing here? You guys aren't the Beatles. Um, but you know, it's uh with Bob and the band, it's like there's there's they're all speaking the same language of just looseness because they've already been through it so many times, both live and uh, you know, in Woodstock that yeah, it would have been really cool to had yeah you know, anybody with uh you know any kind of uh, you know home video footage of, of those of, of of that session that again it's what makes that Beatles thing so crazy <laughs> that it not only exists but they were able to clean it up in such a way that um yeah you know, obviously I yeah you know, a little bit bigger into the Bob but you know appreciate the Beatles pretty heavily and just it was neat to see but it would also to your point Robin, it would be a little different here because. You know, watching you know, Lennon McCartney go back and forth is a lot different than Bob going back and forth in his brain. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little tougher to, to really digest him just doing it. I mean, th- think maybe the proxy for that is you try to you kind of go through the, the blood on the the, the the tracks when they put the the uh, spiral notebook out and you kind of see the lyrics kind of bouncing back and forth from that end. But I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, the, the audio part of it, obviously, is something you can kind of work through with takes and maybe even like the was uh, the various takes from you know the completest dynamics, whether whether it's from the '60s when they put out what, all you know twelve versions of like a Rolling Stone or something like that, where you can kind of see the evolution of a song. I guess is the closest you can get to it, but um, you know it's it's part of kind of the vision of the genius, kind of creating a song that uh, it's fun to at least be able to observe as much of it as you can.
1: <laughs> yeah, it might be a little. It's one thing to have four Beatles interplaying with each other. And then you've got the other hangers on or whatever, but yeah, it might be just like, well, there's just Bob in the corner just scribbling for 12 straight minutes. Like, all right, this doesn't make for scintillating footage. <laughs> like, okay. There is
0: um, to, to, to that, to that though. And, uh, don't look back. There is him plucking away at the typewriter for like two minutes. You're like, I'd still and I'd writing. still watch it.
1: I'd still if it yeah, was available, just, I'd watch it. If it's on it Disney, and the first you know,
0: time I saw that, my my first question is, what is he writing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is he writing the liner notes to her live album? Or is he writing something real? You know, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Joe. Joe. yeah, It's like, uh, I don't, you don't know, but it, that was it. It was like, there he's he could be writing one of the great works of our time or, you know, he could just be pucking away. But either way, you're always kind of curious. But yeah, I, I don't know if it lasts six hours. <laughs> <like> much, so. <laughs> so what are you doing, Bob? He's exactly like, quite uh, the same.
1: he's like eggs, milk, bread. <laughs> I need... <laughs> I bubble, yeah. I bubble, I like bubblelicious. I'm going to get that. Like, All right, great. Really? Uh, so, yeah, we mentioned that he did this live. He only did it eight times from January 3rd to January 16th mm-hmm. on, on that initial tour, and it was done acoustically. And it's there. There's some really great performances there, uh, and uh, obviously he was whatever reason dissatisfied with it because then, then after january 16th it disappeared never to be seen again uh and it's just there, there they late and those other versions have not surfaced i mean i know they're on bootlegs i, I haven't yeah. heard them but they're they have not been released officially at any point so this is a song that uh you know has been definitely you know left behind and and there it stays but it's again it's uh i remembered hearing it on Bootleg series with her son. I thought it was terrific, and I still enjoy it very much.
0: Yeah, no, it's a great tune. Uh, for those listening, I'm sure you probably already have it at nauseum to check out the live versions; um, they're all over the internet, you know, pretty much everywhere, including the video version from that Chicago debut, where he, incidentally, you know, similar to what he did with uh, the Milwaukee show here, he debuted six new. I think I counted six new songs from that '74 first Chicago show, um, and including this one. And uh, it was really—it's uh, neat to see see and hear there. Um, it's just a very different um, carries a kind of a different weight than the than the band version. They're both uh, they both carry a lot of a lot of strength in their own realms, but uh, both were definitely worth checking out. Um, right. Kind of an unappreciated, uh, when, you know. I would not call it one of his top ten songs of all time, but it's certainly it's one I I probably overappreciate put it that way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, is there? Can you do that? Really, we overappreciate it. You love
0: it, you love it. I mean, what's wrong with that? Yeah. You exactly. know?
1: I, so, well, Brian, thank you so much for coming back and talking about this song. I really appreciate it. Uh, before we wrap up here, I have to ask you, we've changed the question. The, obviously, we don't do the concert question anymore, but I'm I now asking people, courtesy of the Pomegranate County Regulars, if you, Brian, got invited <laughs> to a Bob Cut tribute concert and you're on first, what song are you going to perform?
0: So the the key the key you mentioned here is I'm on first because uh, the 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 type of song I would play has uh, got to be something that just gets the crowd rolling and fired up so it's either, it would either be something like Groom's Still Waiting which I think just blows you uh, blows your doors off or even like Buick 6 something like that which are you know both kind of deep cuts but uh rock heavy rockers So something like that is probably what I would go with. That sounds good. All right. That makes sense.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's something I mean, to get
0: yeah. the crowd rolling really quickly. I've never, um yeah buick six is always, i think you did that one a while ago but um uh i that's i don't know it's just always one that i just i just love that song just just boom uh right. yeah you know, something with heavy blues so yeah something like that
1: <laughs> yeah good choice good choice so oh <laughs> again brian thank you so so much for coming back i, I appreciate it. it's always fun talking to you why don't you tell people where they can find you out
0: on the internet yeah so my twitter my, my bob twitter is bird that flew one uh, the number one at the end uh, on Twitter, so feel free to find me. If anybody has uh, those alternate studio <laughs> copies of this song, I'd love love you to reach out to me and uh, direct me where I can find them. I'll uh, we'll, we'll be digging around as best I can. Uh, and then I uh, I um, surreptitiously uh, have a, a pretty good set of video. A lot of folks who probably listeners already know uh, from that Chicago tour, incidentally. It was kind of crazy. The, the seat in front of me was empty uh, at that concert, and so it allowed me to, uh, you know, discreetly videotape most of that show, uh, in a way where I wasn't getting co- constantly yelled at by the ushers and the sound on the, on the, on the, on the set's pretty good. That's, I put, I put it all up on YouTube. I apologize. It was like probably three or four of the songs are taped sideways just because that's the way I was holding the phone. Uh, but that YouTube channel, I think is Bird That Flew on the Avenue. It's, it's basically only that Bob show. So feel free to check that out as well um it's as i said it's for it was it, when it was early on in the tour and it was kind of the only thing out there it's it got a lot of hits but uh it slowed down as other things come up later that have been better but a pretty decent video from uh the second show of the tour we're checking out for those who haven't seen it yet
1: all right very cool well again brian awesome. thanks thanks so much for coming back
0: rob thanks for having me
1: back if you want to find back episodes of the show go to our website findwaterpodcast.com you can subscribe to Pod Dylan and any podcatcher of your choice. And if you want to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, of which Pod Dylan is a part, please go to patreon.com slash FW Podcast. And there you can unlock various awards, one of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve and Max Hutzel, Sebastian Krogh, George Doherty, Waki Meckel, and Paul Rother for their support of Pod Dylan. I very much appreciate it. So that's going to do it. Thanks everybody for listening, and we will see you later. Bye.
0: It is a house unlike any other. This is the house where Bob Dylan grew up, and it's for sale. Why is it a big deal? Bob Dylan's a legend. He's been a legend all these years. And it is a big deal. Real estate agent Kurt Curtis has been flooded with inquiries ever since he ran an ad in Rolling Stone magazine. Still see the bedroom where little Bobby Zimmerman grew up or sit on the bed where once slept a boy who became a music superstar. Or you can step out onto the terrace where Dylan used to play for hours on end, developing his unique sound, much to the dismay of his peace-loving neighbors. Bob lived here until 1959, when, like a rolling stone, he and his mother moved to Minneapolis, leaving behind memories and a potential museum.